This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. You can find all my work at mjmunoz.com. Welcome to Story Over Everything. I am recording this intro probably a couple weeks after I recorded the actual body of the episode, so hopefully that doesn't throw you off too much. I basically just jump right into it, but I'm talking about George McDonald's The Princess and the Goblin, and uh, yes, I'm going to go ahead and let myself talk about the book now. So, enjoy! I literally just right now finished listening to George MacDonald's The Princess and the Goblin, and this is going to be my second book, uh, my second issue of Skimming Leaves, and uh, I I think it's a great choice. Uh, I don't remember why I picked this. I think actually I had it on a list, and I was going to do something with fantasy going back, you know, into history, because I really want to get to the Oz books, but I kind of want to do some other fantasy books before I get to those. Uh, Oz is pre-Narnia, it's pre-Lord of the Rings, um, but McDonald, George McDonald is also pre-Narnia and Lord of the Rings, and in fact, I hear that C.S. Lewis and George J.R.R. Tolkien both were fans of McDonald, and for a while, I suspected that uh, they were perhaps influenced by Baum's work, L. Frank Baum being the author of the 14 original Wizard of Oz books, or I guess I should just say Oz books, because they're not about the wizard, they're about the land of Oz, and Ozma of Oz and other wonderful, wonderful characters. But <clears throat> there's an absurdity and a looseness and a, I don't know, a, a, a warm charm to the Oz books that is, I think, typical of books of a certain era where the author or the narrator, uh, yeah, I guess it's the narrator, speaks of the characters in the book as if they are his friends and your friends as well as the reader and he gives you little insights and makes it sound as if these events really happened and he heard about them afterwards from them Lewis does that a lot at least in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe I don't think he does it in the others so much Um, that kind of voice is absent from Tolkien's books and it's present a slight amount in McDonald's as well as the Oz books Um, at least in The Princess and the Goblin I don't know about the others yet and uh, while George MacDonald has, I'm going to say, a- around ten books that are in this children's fantasy uh, category, I guess, um, I wasn't aware that there was actually a second story of The Princess and the Goblin. For some reason, I thought it would be The Princess and the Goblin 2 or something like that. But I think it's actually called uh, Curdie and the Princess, if if I'm remembering that correctly. So, uh, And at the very end... Uh, like the last couple lines, it mentions that there will be more stories with Curdie and the princess that will be told in another place, in another volume, it says. And I just thought, oh, that's a nice, you know, fantastical way to, to say things. That's like the 14th Gundam fight. I never got to saw, see that, but no, it, it's a real thing that exists, and I'll, I'll talk about that later. But for right now, I just want to go over real quick. Uh, some information from Wikipedia. Again, this is a casual book chat where I'm casually talking about this book. I didn't take any notes. I just listened to it, and I just want to talk about it for a few minutes before I, uh, I move on. So, uh, The Princess and the Goblin is a children's fantasy novel by George MacDonald. It was published in 1872 by Strahan and Co., uh, with black and white illustrations by Arthur Hughes. Strahan had published the story and illustrations as a serial in the monthly magazine, Good Words for the Young, November, uh, or beginning November 1870. So it's 24 chapters long, I believe. So uh, it could have been published one chapter a month or perhaps one chapter a week. 24 chapters, that's either 24 weeks or 24 months. Um, 
I don't think it says the the frequency. So over you know minimum you know about a year, <laughs> minimum a few months, but maximum uh, two years. So anyway, that's the uh, little bit of information about the book. Eighteen seventy two. That's old. Um, L. Frank Baum wrote the first Oz book in about nineteen oh five, nineteen oh two, something like that. Maybe it was nineteen hundred. Um, so that would have been a twenty eight years minimum. Uh, this that means Princess and the Goblin is at least twenty eight years older than Elfring Baum. Elfring Baum could have grown up having this story read to him or reading it himself, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, I uh, I don't know if I'm going to read any more of the information from here. I don't think I am. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm just going to write and say this. It's a weird, beautiful book. I got to say, I have no idea the concept. Like I don't even know where George McDonald's from. Because it says he's English. Is that right? Hold on. It doesn't say if he's English, Scottish, who knows what. Uh, lots of people. Lots of different peoples. It's from the United Kingdom, which that encompasses a lot because, you know, for a time, the sun would never set on the British Empire. But anyway, uh, it's a really weird book. Like, I was honestly so scared for Princess Irene through the whole thing. Um, and I'm actually, I'm not going to tell you anything about the book. Uh, well... I'm not going to formally tell you anything. I'm just going to let things come out as I'm talking about it. Uh, except I will say this. No, no, no. You should go read the book. Stop right now and go read the book. If you need to be convinced, it's a wonderful, magical book. I fell in love with it the first time I listened to it. And honestly, listening to it the second time, uh, it just... It, I was charmed. My uh, my heart swelled with, like, I don't know, warmth and love. It's just... It's a very beautiful book. And I really like it I don't know what it's about I believe George MacDonald was uh, a Catholic or some form of Christian and I believe he tried to work themes of his faith into it and I don't think it's themes of the Catholic faith I think it's themes of faith in God of some sort and it's broad enough and unspecific enough that I think anybody of any faith would be able to listen to this and uh, feel comfortable with it and feel like, oh, this is talking about, you know, believing in a higher power, believing in something that you can't quite see, believing in uh, God. And I, maybe even, you know, secular humanist, woo-woo, uh, spiritualistic type people would like it because, oh, there's something out there, man, you know, the universe. Uh, and I, uh, I like that. <laughs> I actually like it. It's very charming how the supernatural and the natural converse with each other, let's say, in this book, because they do, and, you know, it's called The Princess and the Goblin, there are goblins in this book, they are real, they are not in your face, but they're very much there, and they're not shied away from it all, and <laughs> the way that they're presented, though, is almost in a matter-of-fact historical manner, and I will say this, uh, the way, this is spoilers for Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, I guess, uh, if you pay attention to what those books are saying, Tolkien presents the books, at least within the narrative of the books, as if they are part of the literal history of the world of Earth where we live now. The third age of Middle Earth is where all the most of the adventures happen. That's the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But he has tales of the second age of Middle Earth and before even the creation in the Cimmerillion. And he goes on at the end of uh, Return of the King Basically, it's stated that the third age of 
the third age is ending and the fourth age is beginning. And I guess we're in the fourth age now, baby. Uh, I guess that's what it would be because part of the reason that like the elves leave um, to wherever they leave, I don't know what it's called. Uh, and like Bilbo and Frodo and uh, you know Gandalf go with them to the Grey Havens is because they need to depart from, they need to depart to that other place in the world in order to let, I guess, the course of the rest of the world unfold. It's very weird. And even uh, Alexander, uh, Lloyd Alexander does something similar in <clears throat> the Chronicles of Bredain, which is funny. Um, and I almost wonder if it was a little bit of a nod to his affection for Tolkien's work, but it's honestly something that is unappealing to me when it's done so overtly versus I almost feel like the princess and the goblin is a historical document from a fantasy world where goblins really do exist. Um, did exist, do exist. And that I'm, I don't know, like I'm, I'm part of that fantastical world that's being spoken of. And it's really interesting how he presents it. And it's, I don't know. It's it's very interesting, <laughs> and I like it a lot. But uh, I'm gonna think about this a little more. I'm gonna pause and come back in a little bit with uh, some more thoughts about this wonderful book. All right. So I'm no longer on the road, but now I'm outside where there's wind noise. Yay! So hopefully my uh, my uh, audio tools can take care of that. But I'm also cupping the phone in my hand, so we'll see how this works out. Anyway, um, I thought about it some more, and it's just a beautiful book. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful book, and those, uh, notes or notions or hints at, like, the supernatural and God and, you know, something beyond this world, they're soft enough that I really don't think they should offend anybody's sensibilities. I don't think they should offend anybody anyway, but, like, even if you're, a, you know, not a believer, uh, I would think you would be able to enjoy this. And like I said, I think anybody from any faith could enjoy this for you know, the, the plain face, you know, fantasy writing of it, and also for the spiritualistic elements in it, which I think are really interesting. So I'm going to go ahead and give like a tiny summary, which is that basically a, in a, in a world, in a world where one man, uh, no, in a world where humans and goblins live together at the same time and know of each other's existence, <laughs> they don't live side by side or in cooperation at all. The there is an issue where there's a goblin kingdom underneath a human kingdom, or at least near where a human king's castle is. And as far as we can tell, well, I'm getting too in depth. Uh, and the plan for peace between humans and goblins is for the goblin king to abduct the human princess in order to marry off to his goblin son for them to, uh, well, have a, you know, like a political union that brings peace between their two kingdoms, which is something done in the human kingdom, and, or has been done in human kingdoms for thousands of years, probably, and that might sound weird, it might, if you think about it too hard, it won't, you don't think it's going to work, um, but I'll get back to that in a minute, uh, and the... <laughs> that's the plan that the goblins have. They have a backup plan, plan B, which both get executed, sort of. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, along the way, this princess has an encounter with her great, big, old, grand-grandmother. And it's confusing as to what that means. Uh, it's as confusing to me as it, uh, as it is to you to hear it for the first time. you got to go through the book to really get it. I mean, I could spell it out, but I don't want to, because it's, it's such a joy to experience. And 
uh, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't read. I I just knew this was a classic. So um, learning that the well, no, I, I summed up for you probably what's that's that's read the blurb. A princess in a is you know plans to a goblin king plans to abduct a princess to marry off to his son to bring peace between his goblin people and the human people above ground, who they call the children of the sun, and. Uh, you know, the princess gets saved through mysterious means and through not so mysterious means. And what basically happens is that her great, to whatever degree, grandmother, uh, ends up through supernatural means helping to save the princess. And uh, she also aids this boy, Curdy, who the princess meets in the book uh, fairly early on. And uh, through aids of, through means of her magical assistance that she's able to give them she's able to save them both and help them save each other and ultimately save the kingdom of men from the goblins and uh ultimately peace is brought about but it's in an interesting way and it's not quite what you would expect there's no grand war against the goblins there's no uh gosh i don't know it's just it goes about it all in a very interesting way and I made allusion to this, but I didn't finish what I was saying earlier. I was so afraid for the princess throughout this whole book, or the first time anyway, throughout most of the book, I was so scared what was going to happen to her. Um, because I knew they wanted to abduct her, and I didn't know what to think of this great-grandmama uh, who shares her name. <laughs> uh, she's Queen Irene, and um, you know, this is Princess Irene that we're dealing with, and it just all... It's also mysterious, and it's not spelled out at all, so you don't really know what's going on until you get to the end of the book, and I'm not even sure by the time I finished the first time I understood it, and in fact, I don't think I did understand it. I, I bet, I hope, I want for Curdie and the Princess to have more information in it that makes me, or that helps me understand the context of what was going on, because the Queen, Irene, refers to things that, you know, the Princess Irene is too young to know about. I... <laughs> I can't tell how old she is. she eight years old? She's a little older than that. It's probably the max she could be, maybe nine. A uh, sheltered, naive princess like that, uh, all cooped up in the, the castle. Um, that would make sense. Uh, and then, you know, Curdie probably is 12, 13, maybe 14 at the most. Um, and there's no, like, there's a friendship and a, uh, a kinship between them, or not kinship. Um, and there's an appreciation for each other, and there's not a romantic subtext to it at all, but at the same time, I don't know if it's because it's a fairy tale, or it's because, you know, I'm not seeing these kids, or what, but, like, I want there to be a, you know, following book that has them, you know, eventually falling in love and getting married, because it just seems appropriate. Like, Curdy is a really good kid. He's a really good guy. He's noble. He's uh, kind. He's helpful. He's generous. He loves his mom and his dad, and he wants to help them out, and it's very clear through the, you know, narrative, and it's really interesting. So, the, I mean, the book is about the princess, but, it, you know, Princess Irene, but it's, it's like she's our point of view person. I mean, it really is her and Curdie, both, uh, that takes you into this fantastical world, but the way that it's revealed to her in her innocent, childlike way, where she just, like, sweetly accepts things that are going on, and, like, I don't know, like, lovingly and faithfully embraces that life is going to be good for her and treat her well, it's, I don't, it's, it's really beautiful. Something about the naivete of a child and, you know, the fact that she's not my kid, <laughs> like, all makes it really wonderful. And I think, um, I just really think that this is a classic that um, should remain. Like, uh, I know my eldest read it, and I want to read this to my other kids because it's just that wonderful. So, 
Uh, I'll have to work on that pretty soon. We're reading through Oz books right now. And I know, like, this is, like, I really enjoy the Oz books, but this is almost, like, way better. Um, I like how many Oz books there are, though. It's nice that there are so many and that they're so fun and so cute. Um, but it's more like they're, like, candy as opposed to, I don't know, wholesome, you know, roast or something like I don't, I don't know how to like this is like a stew this book is like a stew it's wonderful and warming and comfortable or comforting but it's also like nourishing to the soul and it's it's just really beautiful i i don't know what else to say about it um we have uh the cast of characters is pretty small you have curdy you have the princess irene you have her nurse who she calls nursey whose name is actually luti or something close to luti um then there's her father the king I already mentioned Queen Irene, her grandmother. Uh, you have Curry's mom and dad, which they're the Petersons. His dad's name is Peter, and then he's Peterson. <laughs> um, and, uh, like, a couple soldiers and just, like, some other random people. And other than that, there's, like, the, the king of the goblins and his wife and the prince and a little goblin family. And... I don't know, it's just really interesting, these, like, examinations of people that you get. And, like, the goblins, you know, humans are foreign to goblins, and goblins are foreign to humans, so, like, there's this, uh, like, mutual, like, fear and distrust they have of each other, but, like, you can also appreciate each of them in their own cultures and, like, who they are and that they're coming from, like, vastly different perspectives, and they both look down on each other in a, like, a mirroring way where, you know, the humans are, oh, those terrible creatures they're so ugly and they hide underground and they don't appreciate the sun and the goblins say oh those humans those gigantic ugly creatures they live under the sun which is so glaring and terrible and hurts our eyes and um you know they don't know what beauty or intelligence is or you know they're you know vicious and things like that and i don't know it's really interesting um i don't think i mean this was from the 1870s right so i don't think this guy was like uh you know a post-racial uh I don't know, he could have been, like, a freedom fighter or, like, an abolitionist or whatever. I, I don't even know when slavery ended, sorry. Um, this is a literature podcast, not a history podcast, okay? But I'm just saying, in the context of his time, he very well might have been racist and uh, other things. But, like, he presents such a human world, such a warm, loving world, such a gentle world, especially because it's through Princess Irene's perspective, mostly, and Curdie's, too. And he's such a sweet kid. But, um, like, these people are... You know, warm and generous and helpful and loving, uh, yeah, to their kin and how would they react to other people? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's not in the narrative. The point is, you know, you are going to read this in your family, in your home, uh, and it's going to tell you, it's going to show you, it's going to inspire you to be more loving, more kind, more gentle, um, more trusting, to give the benefit of the doubt to people in your family, in your circle who you love and who are closest to you because they are the closest people to you. So therefore you should treat them, uh, with this deference and humility so that you can all get along better, can can have a, a flourishing, meaningful, more joyful life. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's really, this is a really good book. It's really interesting. And, like, the more I think about it, the, the better it gets. This is only my second time reading it. I think this will become one of my, I don't know how frequently I want to read books. I remember hearing about Christopher Lee. Sir Christopher Lee would read The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, or, I guess, flip that, reverse it, uh, um, every year over, like, his Christmas break or whatever. And uh, that's kind of cool. You know, it's neat. Um, there's a lot of hours worth of content right there to, to read, but if you're, you know, sitting home in, you know, foggy UK, I guess you could do that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. 
there's there's a couple of books that I thought, oh, I'll read this every year. But if I do that, then I'll be reading all those books every single year, uh, year in, year out. But I think this is definitely something to revisit every couple of years. You know, every two years, read this again. It's really, really fantastic, and I appreciate it so much. Uh, I hope you got something out of this casual book chat, because I don't really have more to say, and I don't want to belabor the point. I feel like I've kind of repeated myself a little bit already, but, I mean... I just finished this book, and it's that much having an impact on me um, that I just kind of want to rave about it a little bit without going into too many details because I want to leave it open for you to, to read for yourself and experience it firsthand because it really is something to experience firsthand. It's it's really wonderful. <laughs> the only thing I'll say about it is the, the fear that I felt for Irene, um, I don't know, some YouTuber a while ago, a couple of years back, talked about the purple feeling, I think is what he called it. I don't know if that's what it is or not, but like... Like how 80s kids shows would legitimately scare you and you were scared and wanted to look away but you stuck around and stayed because something about the way everything was balanced in the presentation of those stories, maybe even like the never-ending story and things like that which are, you know, grotesque and wonderful and scary but also beautiful and sweet. Um, like those things made you feel that weird tension and maybe I felt that same sort of tension, you know, as an adult uh, with kids of my own reading for reading this book, um, especially from Princess Irene's perspective, because I'm a father and I know what it's like to have your kids wander off, and basically this kid keeps wandering off and getting lost uh, in her own home, and that's that's a scary thought, especially for uh, today's day and age where we don't let our kids go very far, and uh, maybe we should. Maybe we should. Anyway, that's it for this casual book chat. Uh, I didn't really do a strong formal intro to this, so this is Story Over Everything episode. I think it's 25 is what, what this should be, and it should be uh, airing on um, or publishing on June 30th, 2023. So I'm putting all that stuff at the back here. It doesn't need to go at the front necessarily, and I'll go ahead and let the outro roll, uh, except for I will say check out all my other stuff. Um, I have a weekly roundup post that I've been doing on mjmunoz.com where you can see everything that I've uh, written, everything that I've drawn, uh, everything that I've done analysis for because I'm an author, artist, and analyzer, and therefore I want to make sure that I'm writing every day, pretty much, uh, drawing every day, pretty much, and uh, I don't need to analyze something every day, but the, the stuff that I like... Um, it's being very prolific with its uh, output right now, so I'm, I'm analyzing a lot, and I'd like to analyze less. I'd like to do, like, three things a week and then devote the rest of my time to writing and thinking about writing and drawing and stuff. So, anyway, uh, I'd really appreciate if you checked all that out. You can, um, you know, like this, share this, subscribe, um, tell other people about it, check out uh, my work as I'm chronicling my journey as an author, artist, and analyzer and trying to figure out how to write books and, and tell really good, meaningful stories by, uh, you know, just writing, doing the work of writing, uh, which I'm doing writing in public. I'm basically sharing everything with you as I write um, my current series of books. I'll just put it that way. And as time goes on, I think I'll continue to do that and have that stuff be free on the website. You can find it all uh, you know, there, and I'll link it in a nice way so it's all you know, tidy and pretty easy for you to find everything and, and read a whole you know, book or you know, series of chapters or whatever in chronological order where, like I said, where it's easy to find user-friendly. And then, uh, you know, eventually when they get published, I'll have links for them. And I'll also do call to action to help try to raise funds for my children's picture books, uh, which need to be illustrated. And that takes money because uh, I am, uh, well, I think my energy is best devoted to writing right now and writing these stories and then doing the campaigns and then gathering money together for an artist to do the work for me, uh, at least that aspect of the work. So... Um, but yeah, so you can find all that stuff there, and uh, that's uh, that's all I'm going to say for now. So I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. I hope that you are well, that you continue to be well. This is MJ signing out. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to mjmunoz.com to leave 
any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around. You're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.